what's up? This is Dinner Roadshow. This is episode 29. Uh, coming to you with... we got a whole bunch of stuff planned. Um, some of the stuff I had planned for last week. Um, and I pushed it. Um, one we have Dune. Yeah, we got Dune. We got Dune content. We got lots of Dune content. Yeah, we're going to try some new things. Um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, last week I said we were going to get weird. And then this week I put like all the actual weird shit in this one. Because I pushed mm-hmm. some stuff. Um, so yeah, we're gonna see how that goes. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's just, let's just dive into it. Um, Great. so we have a new segment. Um, I haven't come up with a name for it yet and it's been a few weeks and it's n- nothing's, uh, nothing's come to me yet. Um, so for <laughs> the working title is what weird shit does Bill believe? And so this is going to be the part of the show where, uh, we take a look at some weird thing that I'm interested in, whether it's my, uh, predilection for Jungian psychology or um me thinking that the tiktok numbers are fake or you know whatever whatever kind of weird thing that uh i believe in and so i figured i would uh get us started with um i'd get real personal here okay and uh See, I, I don't know if you know this about me. I think I might have mentioned it on a previous episode of the show or in passing or something. Um, I have a phobia of mirrors. You know, um, oh God, how long have I known you now? How many years has it been? It's been what, since like third grade? Might even be second. Right. So like probably like close to 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite twenty years, almost though. Almost, um, Jesus. I Christ. did not. I I don't. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, they freak me out. Um, huh. And it's really easy to make jokes because it's like, oh yeah, you don't want to look at yourself, you know, blah 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 blah. Um, and that's not that's not the, really the reason. Um, they freak me out because I would I would see things in mirrors, and so that would like really freak me the fuck out. Um, things that were there or weren't there things that were in the mirror okay (laughs) um so yeah i i I have uh, at 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 the same time uh uh like a fear of mirrors and also a fascination with them Mm -hmm. um and so uh i figured this would tie in because i needed to do some research for another thing that i'm working on um and so I figured we can go through some stuff here uh for this new segment. So, you know, um yeah. before you freaking start, I'm I'm thinking back now. Um we saw uh Jordan Peele's Us in the theater when that came out. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you get through like the first 10 minutes of that movie? Yeah, so like it's not like um like this, you know, super um you know, like where I can't be around mirrors or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because like I have a mirror in my room, um, you know, uh, it's just they 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 unsettle me and I don't like looking in them. So mm-hmm. I try not to. Um, I I think it ties into my anxiety where like if my anxiety is really high, um, I will definitely try not to look at them. And if I get into my head where, like, I'm very conscious of the fact that it's like, oh, that is a mirror right now, um, then I get, like, particularly weird about it. Um, and I start overthinking it. And then, like, I definitely can't look into it. 
Um, like, yeah, like when I lived with my grandma, there was a, uh, like a really big, it was like a really wide mirror that was supposed to go on top of this dresser. And so instead, um, since I moved stuff around, it was off of the dresser and onto the floor because otherwise it would have faced directly like where my bed was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I moved it onto the floor and then like covered it with stuff. So like it wouldn't directly face me. Um, Wow. Yeah. I also had to move a gigantic ceramic crucifix, but that was <laughs> for different reasons. So yeah, it's not it's not like, you know, it's like I, when I brush my teeth, like I I'll look in the mirror, but it's not you know, like I it's not a uh this overwhelming thing. Well, nobody's going to accuse you of being vain, so there's that. Uh, yeah, exa- yeah, sure. I got that going for me. So yeah, so uh fear of mirrors is called spectrophobia. Mm-hmm. Um and this comes from the Latin for apparition. It's also known as uh, catoptrophobia, which is from the Greek for mirror. Um, it's often linked to the fear of ghosts and seeing things in the mirrors. Some fear that mirrors are a gateway to another place and they're afraid of being pulled in. Uh, others fear that their own image is uh, distorted in the dark and they're afraid of seeing things in the mirrors. So... In my case, um, I this happened a lot more frequently when I was younger. I would see all kinds of weird shit in mirrors, um, especially the mirror in my bedroom, because there was a time where um, my bed was placed differently, and so my head would sort of face the mirror, um, and. The, the mirror would also I could also see out my door in the reflection of the mirror mm-hmm. um and whenever I was uh Catholic let's <laughs> let's 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 phrase it that way I thought I saw Jesus in the mirror um walking up the stairs and then he turned to me in the mirror and sort of made this like beckoning motion. And then he just sort of continued up the stairs and disappeared. Then another time I saw some sort of figure that was like all in white. That almost looked like somebody that was in the KKK. Just like like this completely white hooded figure. And it did like something similar where it was going up the stairs. And then it turned like over the shoulder to look at me. Um, and then it continued and left. And then I would also see other weird things like um, like pieces of paper burning in mirrors, just like kind of floating there in the mirror. And so, then one. Yeah. yeah um, sorry to interrupt, but like mm-hmm. how often, like not how often, but how long do these um, like visions last? Like the paper, for example, like is it just like until you blink or do you have time to like sit there and process what you're seeing while you're seeing it? Um, the paper was probably about, I don't know, 20 seconds. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. The weird one with the paper was that, um, the next morning I could have sworn that there was some ash on my, uh, carpet. Oh boy. Um, mm-hmm. We're recording on Halloween weekend, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I wanted to squeeze this in last episode, but, um, yeah, I had to push it. Um, so Yeah. Uh, I've seen some weird shit in mirrors. Man. Yeah. So, like, 
so like can you look away and then look back and it's still there like because you know how in horror movies the person looks away and then when they look back at at the mirror or whatever it is and the thing has disappeared um usually not uh-huh um it usually does go away mm-hmm. um it has been a while since i've seen something well that's good yeah i think that's good yeah yeah um I would see a lot of shit at my grandma's house too. Uh huh. Um, because she had, she also had a lot of mirrors. Um, she had these two squared off, like, like framed mirrors that were as if they were paintings, but they were just mirrors on both ends of the living room looking towards two, like, staircases. <laughs> um, because it's like a sunken in living room. Mm-hmm. So it would just be looking out into one would look into the dining room and then one would be looking into like the foyer area. Um, and so you could get weird angles with those because she also had like a lot of crystal and shit. And the bathroom mirrors were also very weird because there was frosted glass on the window of the bathroom. Um, this is like this is like a nightmare scenario. <laughs> Yeah. To live in. Uh yeah, so there was there'd be a lot of weird angles and things. Yeah, like I would have well, we don't this is for this is for another one of these segments, but like I would have um I would have dreams of like dead relatives and things, and sometimes they would like involve them like involve the mirrors um in some way. Yeah. Um yeah, just 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 weird, weird stuff would happen. So like what? So like you're seeing them in the dream, but you're you're only seeing them through the mirror in the dream. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but then in like reality, I would see just like shapes, like humanoid shapes, like over my shoulder, in the mirrors. You know, things like that. Um, you know, you know things things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to do another one of these segments about my dreams because those are. Uh, because, um, I've had dreams that, uh, come true uh-huh. like, frequently with, with bizarre precision. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do think that does have to be another segment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it won't be like, like, oh, I have to tell you about this dream I had one night. Um, it would be, uh, hopefully interesting, but, um, so Mesoamerican cultures, uh, like the Aztecs, would use mirrors for divination. They believe that reflective surfaces could be used to see the past, present, and future. And it could, they could also be used to mimic water, which they also used for divining. Um, and their gods were depicted with mirrors for eyes. Um, and they used a corollary between mirrors and eyes uh, frequently in their art. And this type of divination is known as uh, captromancy or calyptromancy, and it was also practiced in ancient Greece and Rome. The superstition of bad luck from breaking a mirror comes from the belief that mirrors uh, hold fragments of a person's soul, and that shattering a mirror means that a piece is uh, irretrievably lost. Have you ever broken a mirror? I have not, no. No, I haven't. You don't get close enough to them? No, and I don't, I don't like associate with like you know handheld mirrors or anything like that that Mm -hmm. would possibly break 
there's also a belief that mirrors throughout a house should be covered or removed after a death to prevent the de, uh, deceased soul from being taken or stolen. And there's a Jewish belief that uh, evil spirits uh, attach themselves to the grieving through mirrors. And there's also a superstition that uh, looking in a mirror in the same room as someone that recently died means that that person will soon die. Oh. Yeah, and there, there, there's also like all kinds of um, sort of like demonic rituals with mirrors, like demon summoning rites and things like that. Of course. Um, like more than, you know, like Bloody Mary and things like that. But those are sort of like just derived from um, like old demon summoning things. Um, and there's we, also we, all kinds of other superstitions. Do we know of any good mirror-based uh, horror films? I remember there was that one in like the, what, 2010s, like Oculus or whatever. Um, it wasn't very yeah. good. No. Um, I'm trying to think... Because, see, if I had known about this, I mm. would have found something for horror artists. Right, right, right. Um, but, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what, Candyman? Oh, you know, I've been meaning to see that uh, that new one. Yeah, I heard it wasn't very good. That's, yeah, that's, I've been kind of putting it off because of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you, you know what I'm afraid of? Mm. Certain mirrors in, like, public restrooms. Because uh, when the lighting... You, you know, the, the harsh lighting in certain public restrooms, I will avoid uh, those mirrors because uh, they are not flattering. They are not, not flattering. Yeah. That's, well, the, uh, <laughs> that's the extent the, that I can relate to this. The um, other thing that you should be afraid of with public mirrors is um, that they might be two-way. Oh. There's the thing you can do. You're, you're supposed to, like, press your finger to it. And it's either if there's a gap or if there's not a gap, it's a two-way. I forget which one it is. Like a gap, meaning like... A gap between the your like your finger and your finger's reflection in the mirror. Oh, okay. I forget which one is which. But like that's the way that you're supposed to be able to tell if the mirror is a two-way mirror. And if the establishment is being weird perverts uh, with their mirrors... Interesting. That's good to know. Have you yeah. ever checked? I think I, I think I did. I think I had a phase where I would check. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know who would be looking in the men's room. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. So yeah, I think, uh, I think that was most of it. Um, just yeah, they, they freaked me out. I've seen some shit with, with good reason. With good reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was not expecting, not expecting some of that stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it sort of ties into a lot of my uh, I don't know occulty beliefs. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you could analyze the shit out of out of all this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I guess we'll be uh, diving into more of my uh, weird business in uh, future installments of the segment. Um, Looking forward to it. Yeah, need a name. Got to got to come up with a name for it, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Do we want to get into our internet deep dive for this week? Sure. All right. So yeah, I, I took a look at this and I knew immediately that you know this was only you were gonna <laughs> gonna pull this out. This is just yeah. stuff. Yeah. 
So I don't know if you had already seen about this dude. Uh, actor Jim Caviezel is has gone full QAnon. Jesus himself. Yeah, he played Jesus in uh, Passion of the Christ from everybody's favorite uh, <laughs> Mel Gibson. Famously cuddly Mel Gibson. So yeah, he's gone full QAnon. People were talking about that. But is it is it possible that um, you saw this guy in the mirror years ago? You know, maybe that that, you know, maybe that was the Jesus I saw. It could have been, but it's and a good thing you didn't, me you to didn't follow, follow him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing you didn't you didn't go down that route. Mm hmm. So, yeah, he went to this uh, Patriot Double Down convention, which sounds like a fucking KFC meal. <laughs> in vegas and he gave a speech where he uh where is it he reenacted uh part of the speech from braveheart because he's all in on the gibson shit i guess oh yeah the gibson verse and he wants to send lucifer and his henchmen straight back to hell so that's all standard QAnon shit but the interesting thing is that he is friends with this QAnon guru guy um whose moniker is like alias is Juan O'Savin, mm -hmm. which is apparently a just um is just supposed to be the numbers one oh seven and I don't know what that refers to. So it's it's Juan O Savin. Clever. Yeah, but I don't know what that like what the I haven't heard of that number being of any significance to the QAnon community, but I don't know. Maybe it's just his lucky number. Although I don't know if I've ever heard anybody have a lucky number in the triple digits. Right. Um, so he is um, important in the QAnon spaces because he is one of like 50 people that they believe to be um, John F. Kennedy Jr. in disguise. <laughs> There have been a number of these people that they believe are JFK Jr. And this dude was also uh, chummy with Roseanne Barr, who famously got fired from her own show for spreading QAnon shit. Mm -hmm. And so this dude goes to builds himself up at these live streams and QAnon conventions and uh, other shit. Um, although this one guy... Uh, called himself a fringe influencer even within the QAnon community but at the same time he's trying to worm his way into um into politics here uh and trying to um control elections through um through appointing secretaries of state like all around the country right um so it's some it's some scary shit um, but it's all dressed up in like the most ridiculous, you know, kind of thing because they're Jim Caviezel and this fucking dude are going around the country looking for funding to release their QAnon movie. Um, but in back rooms, this dude who is letting people think that he's JFK Jr., uh, is trying to get GOP lawmakers to appoint specific people in order to control uh, elections. Yeah, see, like, it can't just be 
these stupid people that we can make fun of. Unfortunately, it has to have like real world implications um, that are quite scary. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is from the Daily Beast. Uh, Savin's Coalition held a meeting with MAGA uh, luminaries like my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, who is famously um, a crackhead and out of his goddamn mind. Uh, former Overstock CEO, uh, Patrick Byrne, and the Gateway Pundit blogger, Jim Hoft, to plot out, uh, plot out the Secretary of State bids. In his speech, Marchant made it clear the goal of Savin's push for new candidates controlling elections in 2024. Uh, and here's a quote. I can't stress how important the Secretary of State offices are. I think they are the most important election in our country in 2022. And why is that? We control the election system. Um, but then at the same time, they're talking about um, how they're going to put top members of the deep state uh, in Guantanamo Bay military tribunals. It's just ridiculous shit. It's exhausting, honestly. It really is. They, they, they talk about the adrenochrome and the, you know, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then they're doing these backroom deals. The only problem is, is that these fuckos have cash. Right. And like, that's the only part that matters is that they, yes. they, got, they have cash. So that means they can actually do shit. So, but yeah, I just, I just think it's funny how QAnon keeps believing that like every, every other month they think a new, new one of these guys is JFK Jr. Um, and that, you know, he's going to reveal himself and, uh, through some through some mystical um, sword in the stone thing, uh, JFK Jr. is going to reveal that he's actually the president of the United States and has been for sixty years or some shit, mm-hmm. um, and that the current United States is actually an illegitimate corporation, uh, and um, yeah, all kinds of fucking bonkers shit. Well, I mean, at least you know. They increase their their odds by having, you know, multiple JFK juniors out there. Uh, they increase their odds of actually mm-hmm. landing on the correct one, right? So Yeah. Um oh yeah, and by the way, the movie that they're uh promoting is um Caviezel's playing the founder of the uh anti sex trafficking group Operation Underground Railroad. And I believe they are a group that uh would basically attempt to kidnap kids that they believed were being abused mm-hmm. without any sort of real proof. They're just like a vigilante group. Right. And so they, in turn, would be kidnapping kids. Yeah. <laughs> has this so, movie, like, where in the production, or, like, has this been made yet? Or are they I still looking for I believe the funding? movie has been made. And Ooh. it says, this is, we're driving across the country, Jim Caviezel and I, Blues Brothers, trying to get it's funding sorted out movie. for the marketing. No, no, no. They're they're doing this. They're trying to oh. get funding sorted out for the marketing <laughs> okay. side of the movie. I got excited there. I love Richard movies. I mean, it might be because it's like, oper- they, they call themselves Operation Underground Railroad, where like they kidnap the kids and then like try to, you know, smuggle them somewhere mm-hmm. in different states, which is like federal shit but uh yeah i think well, the movie's you know, been made but they haven't that, that's that's interesting i mean hopefully it comes out by the um the oscar deadline you know so it can get sure. uh, be eligible for for nominations dennis rice whose company owns the american distribution rights to sound of freedom insists savin isn't raising money for the movie there is no formal affiliation with any political groups group ross said 
There's no formal affiliation with 107. But if they want to support Sound of Freedom, I'm all for it. You've rejected the idea that Savin is JFK Jr. in disguise. I can absolutely 100% tell you that is not true. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So that's what's going on with QAnon these days. They're still Wonderful. trucking along. Speaking of conspiracy theories, uh, let's do another new segment here. And I don't have any music or anything for this. I can add some in post, but... That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? I've been wanting to bring back um, It Doesn't Add Up in many shapes and forms, especially because that show still somehow gets more traffic than this show. (laughs) (laughs) With no promotion, and uh, there hasn't been an episode in exactly three years. That true crime community, I'll tell you. It's ridiculous. Um, Yeah, so like in... In the month of October, um, our best episode um, got a third of the listenership of one of the old episodes of It Doesn't Add Up um, with no promotion on that old show, me not talking about it, not linking to it anywhere. It's just out there. And I bet I haven't even put it in all the places that I've put this show because I haven't like updated the RSS feeds and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't know. People are fine listening to it. Whatever. That's not even like the YouTube. I don't even know what the YouTube numbers are. They, yeah. Anyway, so I've I've wanted to bring it back for a very long time. Tori is very busy so she can't do a full full show anymore at this time. So, I'm going to do some it doesn't add up minis. And what this incarnation is going to look like right now is um, I'm going to find some little conspiracy theories and I'm going to tell you about them. And they're going to be some little quick hits like that. Um, and I think it's going to, for, for right now, it's going to read similar to uh, Dating is Dead just because of the quick nature of them. Um, so we'll just read them out and we'll uh, have some reactions to them. Uh, now, what is, go from there. what does hit clips have to do with this? Oh, I put that in the notes. I might have been feverish when I <laughs> that okay <laughs> but do you remember hit clips is that the thing where you would have like the music player and it would be like a little like cassette tape type thing and you put it in it plays like one song yeah 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 yeah. oh yeah, from the man 90s. i used to love that yeah i used to yeah. love that the sound yeah. quality was fucking dog shit and it was like one Awful. song mm-hmm. and i don't even know if it would play the whole song it might have i don't been, think like, it the was chorus. the full song it was yeah. it was a clip of a yeah. hit you might say <laughs> What a stupid! And you had to carry them around. They were like keychains. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh man, Tamagotchi era shit. Yeah, um, something that you could only sell prior to like the internet really being yes being a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah, so this is going to be the hit clips of uh, conspiracy theories. Um. So yeah, let's get into this. Uh, I don't know what order these are in, so um. Okay. All right. All right. This is gonna. This is gonna be a good one. Think about this for a second. Steve from Blue's Clues left right after 9/11 and appeared right after we pulled out of Afghanistan. Blue's Clues <laughs> was a method for the CIA to send coded messages to black ops teams executing domestic fla- false flag operations up to and including 9/11. Steve was a team leader that ended up operating in Afghanistan for the last pl- 20 years. It's plain as day. Terrific. <laughs> I mean, the timeline. Oh, yeah. 
the timeline's there. Yep, two things that happen in the world <laughs> around the same time <laughs> must be connected. The thing with conspiracy people is that they they do not subscribe to correlation does not equal causation. Of course they not. are. Yeah, everything would fall apart. Mm-hmm. But man, yeah. like as an aside, though, people were in tears over that Blues Clues uh, video from a I couple know, months ago. I know. I was like, okay. <laughs> Like I watched it a lot as a as a small child. Yeah, I, me too. And I sat down and watched that video, and and I felt nothing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was like, "All right, did you do? You, did you people really not have parents or something? Or like, <laughs> like, like I didn't like. Oh my god. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Uh, but that is a great one. Um, yeah. Just operating behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. For yeah, all these years. Yeah, Blue's Clues was a method for the CIA to send coded messages to Black Ops teams. I just love the idea of Black Ops teams turning on Nick Jr. Mm -hmm. at 10 a.m. So so the guy that replaced Steve, because um, the show went on after he left, yeah. he, have, he didn't know about this. Right? No, he had no idea. No, okay. he was just a guy. Okay. <laughs> he was just a guy. Ooh. <laughs> <sighs> Because, no, yeah, Steve was the team leader. So so he went to Afghanistan. He said that he mm -hmm. was going to college or whatever for the show. Uh, but that was just liberal brainwashing. And of so, course. <laughs> this is when he was really going to Afghanistan. You know how Steve was dripped as shit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, Okay. Uh, all right. The aliens aren't coming. They've never left. We live in the Matrix, and it has a language. It's called Gematria, and whether you know it or not, this, what I believe to be ancient alien language, in more recent times, ancient Judeo-Masonic Babylonian practice that is still in use today to encode events which to us seemingly look random. There is no random in the Matrix. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for, a pur for with a purpose. Take, for example, the recent death of the ex-drummer from Slipknot, the band with the song titled Gematria, The Killing Game, and The Heretic Anthem, where you find the lyric, If you're 555, then I'm 666. <laughs> Joey Jordanson would die at exactly 555 months old. Who or what do you think 666 is? Maybe it's not what we have been taught it is. The aliens aren't coming. They're already here and have never left. So, okay, so 666... Uh -huh. So that that date would be 666 months after the birth of jo Joey Jordison. That's the significant date. Or I guess it'd be 100 and, 111 months. After his death. After his death. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. So that's what? Like 10-ish years? Okay. And so and <laughs> so jo Joey Jordison <laughs> is at the center of this because of one of his song titles? Yeah, one of his no, one of yeah, one one of his songs has the lyric "If you're five five five, then I'm six six six. Ah, okay. But meanwhile, he was five 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 because he died then. But that's but the reverse even, of the lyric. Do we even know if if he wrote those lyrics? I mean, you know. Um. Well, now I got to look up Slipknot. What Slipknot discography and look at the writing credits. You don't have to. <laughs> I just I just love the turn from yeah there's this ancient Judeo Masonic Babylonian practice 
uh, that's coded and the universe is actually the Matrix. And then take, for example, the recent death of the ex-drummer from Slipknot. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to prove it. <laughs> that's going to prove that there's an alien uh, Judeo-Masonic Babylonian code. Oh, my I, God. I think it's wild that they counted the months to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could be bullshitting that. I don't think anybody's going to check the math. No. Yeah. No. I mean, who knows? That could end up on a dead wrong next week. Right, right. Um, but, like, it's just funny because the lyric is explicitly, if you're 555, then I'm 666. But then Joey mm-hmm. Jordison is 555, and then something else is 666. So it's actually reversed. Well, what if, okay, so what if the vocalist of Slipknot wrote these lyrics, right? Because he sings Oh, them. okay. And so he's saying you, as in Joey Jordison, or 555, then I'm, so maybe the Slipknot singer is 666 and he's oh. a significant figure here i see what's his name Corey taylor right 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 yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's the guy he's the key yeah mm. i still don't know what this has to do with aliens no i have no i have no clue yeah well i mean there's no random in the matrix <laughs> coming to theaters in december <laughs> okay uh google President of the United States. I have heard by some, if you Google President of the United States, some picture of some bald guy pops up with some name. At first I thought it was a hoax. Then saw some videos of Trump with what looks like SS agents. Secret Service, not SS. uh, That is always near him with a bald head and some clips. I never thought anything of these things till last night when I woke up from a dead sleep. That these are related. I woke up out of a dead sleep knowing these two pieces are related. They connect. I don't want to sound crazy, but wow, it took me over an hour to get back to sleep after that. And now I'm wondering when they say a shadow government, what is really going on? This just won't leave my head. Just keeps rolling around like a bowling ball. Just throwing this out there while my brain is still gnawing on it like a dog gnaws on a bone. I'm not expecting anyone to reply, but if you do, what do you think? I hope I am wrong. I like this one because (laughs) I... I, you know, I think um, when I'm trying to go to sleep, I think of a lot of stupid shit, right? Like I waste time thinking about nonsense, but this has me beat. So I'm happy Uh about that. (laughs) Just like worthless stuff to to (laughs) fill your head with. He, he, he Googled President of the United States. And there's a picture of Trump with a secret security guy with a bald head. Mm-hmm. And so then he's like, shadow government. <laughs> That's the guy. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> Just hiding in plain sight. <laughs> that, that would be him. It's really funny. When they say shadow, go- shadow government, what is really going on? It's like, yeah, that's him. Google got him. Google, <laughs> Google <laughs> photos found him. Reverse image search that thing. Yeah. I, and then I just love the, the similes he throws in. Just won't leave my head. Keeps Just keeps rolling around like a bowling ball. <laughs> and then just throwing this out there. My brain is still gnawing on it like a dog gnaws on a bone. It's poetic. Oh, my God. Okay. I think we got one more. It's all rigged. It's all scripted. If we've seen ever, anything of the past pandemic, because they happen all the time, right? It's that the system is rigged. 
Everything is rigged and scripted, and it's done by code, by the numbers. What you'll see in this video from the Bible to George Floyd, our realities are rigged, and they are using a code to do it. And it's been given to us by the mastermind behind it all, Francis Bacon. <laughs> now, wasn't Francis Bacon like the um, explorer guy? Um, I don't know. I think we might have to play Six Degrees of Francis Bacon to find out. Sir Francis Bacon, English philosopher and statesman who served as the Attorney General and the Lord Chancellor of England. His works are seen as developing the scientific method and remain influential throughout the scientific revolution. Okay. Wait, I thought these people don't believe in science. They believe in their own version of science. Okay. Okay. And so then somebody did reply and I got the reply. How was George Floyd rigged? How was the pandemic rigged? Okay. Hi, friend. Thanks for the questions. George, <laughs> George Floyd died 201 weeks or months, not sure which one, after the death of Adam Atori, a French black man killed by the same way George Floyd would be. Event 201, look it up, put on by the John Hopkins Hospital and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Ask yourself the same question that millions of people are asking themselves. Why the F are there steps being taken to pay restitution pay to droves of people in the name of slavery to groups of people who are never slaves or making people who never own slaves pay for it? There's another oh civil God. war slash American revolution coming. That's the real event 201 that they aren't telling us, but we can all see that it's coming. They want blood, our blood, and they want to be, us to be the ones to draw it ourselves, just like it always has been, and they're ha living happily in their high-rises. Um, and then somebody else replied, lay off the drugs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you guessed it, Francis Bacon. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, like another target of theirs is uh, Bill Gates. They think that he's doing all kinds of uh, kooky experiments. Was he not one of the um, accused like QAnon guys or? Oh, yeah, yeah. They think that he's um, putting microchips in the vaccines mm -hmm. um, and that he eats babies uh, and that he is like. Uh, running experiments on African people and uh, See, yeah. why can't they bring this level of energy to anything to, well to anything productive but just like to <laughs> to like <laughs> stopping other like evil billionaires you know yeah no no yeah they don't they don't give a shit mm -hmm. because these are the same people that think Elon Musk is like gonna save us by going to Mars Right. You know, and I'm not saying Bill Gates is actually, you know, a good guy because he's a fucking billionaire. Right. He's actually not eating babies like he was friends with Epstein. Uh, and that's that's some suspicious ass shit, man. Um, but nobody's eating babies. And th there are there are literally not microchips um, small enough to be put into liquid uh, and also, they would not be able to work if they were in liquid, uh, right. so they cannot go into vaccines. It just does not work. Yeah, I don't think you need to explain any of this to <laughs> uh, to this audience. No, no, I don't. But the it doesn't add up. It it, it doesn't add up. Uh, you know, MythBusters kicked in. Sure, sure. But yeah, it, it's crazy. 
Um, yeah. And I, I just love that this dude is like convinced that the, the, the fucking, it, it couldn't be as simple as police brutality targeting black people. Um, George Floyd uh, died 201 weeks or months. Who gives a shit after the death of some French black guy? That that's the that's the real you know causality here. It's not you know systemic racism. It's uh, some bizarro numerology that he doesn't even have correct. Yeah, because it might be weeks or months, which are <laughs> drastically different numbers actually. And now Johns Hopkins University is evil. He doesn't even have that right. He has John Hopkins, which is not it either, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's like okay, yeah, they killed George Floyd. Sure. Not some fucking racist cop. Okay. And then, yeah. And then he's going off on a tear about, uh, you know, reparations. All right, man. Oh, yeah. Complete lack of understanding of, of yeah. why reparations are <laughs> right. a good thing. And, yeah. <laughs> the idea that, like, slavery ended and the, um, the consequences of that ended with it. <laughs> like it's just there's just a line drawn yeah. it's like oh slavery is over that doesn't matter anymore no no lasting effects there while well, um, bringing up george floyd bringing up george, <laughs> yeah so it's just ridiculous <laughs> there are dots here and they're connected but they're connected so wrong like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> well yeah you you conveniently ignore the dots that you don't want to right to connect yeah, yeah. But but while still recognizing they exist, it, it's sure. Yeah, it's it's so warped. What were these comments? Was this like a YouTube comments or something? These were Reddit. These okay, were Reddit, Reddit comments. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that was our. Uh, it doesn't add up minis for this week. Terrific stuff. Yeah, I will have to go find some more. Um, and if you see any weird conspiracy theories, uh, send them in. Video at denonroad.co. And we will discuss. Is it time for Dune? It is time for Dune. Yes. Yes. So, Dune is a thing. Uh-huh. I see that you've uh, amended <laughs> notes here. <laughs> I just got that. Uh, apparently, Dune is a wonderful thing. Um, I might have something to say about that. But okay. for some reason, during Dune week... Uh, there was a lot of Dune Yinzer content. Um, you probably didn't see all this. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not too engaged with the uh, the Pittsburgh community on on the internet. Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes I feel like I'm not, and then I'll read a tweet, and then I'll realize that oh, this is some Pittsburgh shit, um, and it just kind of hits me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there was this tweet that says, "Gonna see Dune, but not because you all are obsessed with it." But on the reco of my friend who spent money he didn't have on a huge dune mural in the garbage area behind his pizzeria, inaccessible <laughs> to customers because he, quote, needed it to center himself alone before big pizza rushes. And so then, yeah, he's got a big sandworm. And there, I assume, is um, Paul Atreides. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's, it's this big-ass mural. He's, and I'm he's, going, psyching, he, he's psyching himself up for, for the yeah. dinner rush. And I'm going through this feed or this this thread, um, and then it's it's like he'd gotten pushed out of multiple successful pizzerias in Pittsburgh uh, by partners and was determined to do it alone. Everyone was like, "quote for the first 
thing you spend this loan on is a uh, dune mural. And he was like, I need this. And yeah, so this is a pizzeria in Oakland, one of the neighborhoods in Pittsburgh. Um, it's pizza. Does, pronto. Is he viewing? Is he viewing himself as Paul Atreides? Like he was cast out from the family, and now he's doing it alone. You know, maybe. Um, that could be. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's quite a piece of work, and it is. <laughs> it's it's behind the establishment. You cannot you cannot see it like street the like street view or anything. It's it's behind the behind the place. It's it's really something. So yeah, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, um. We we probably have some Pittsburgh listeners because of, you know, what goes on. And then there was this other tweet by this gentleman. He's now Duke Leto Trades. He's the one that earns dicks. So. <laughs> <laughs> just just a little, just Leto Trades in a Yinzer accent. Like Terrific. I played this like fifty fucking times in a row. Yeah, can we hear it again? He's now Duke Leto Trades. He's the one that owns Dukes. Oh. <laughs> He's the one that owns the Dukes. Wonderful. <laughs> so there was, there was some Yinzer content happening all over the place. This movie's really taken off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway... <laughs> do, we, do, do we want to get into the actual movie? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, so you're very high on this. Very high, uh, yeah. Yeah, you might you might be on a spice high. One might say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good one. Yeah, I was I was um I was kind of lukewarm on it. Okay. Um. Yeah. I I I don't know. I something something was off for me, and and I have not read the original. The novel, right. like, because it seems like you know, there's two types of people. There are people that have read Dune, and there are people that have like attempted to read Dune. Um, yeah, I'm, yes, I'm I'm the latter. I hear the the first hundred pages is tough, but once you get past that, yeah. Um, I saw it's only like 400 pages. I thought it was much longer than that. But I guess it depends on 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 the size of the prints in whatever edition you have. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know, I don't know if this was a, uh, um, a fault of the adaptation or, or what, but, but like, I had always heard that like, oh, it, Dune, it's nuts, it's, you know, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this, this, this wasn't, you no, know, I mean, it was kind of straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I was expecting, um, because Dune is sort of considered to be like this foundational story um in like science fiction and fantasy that inspired a lot of like mainstream genre films over the past number of decades like star wars you know Mm -hmm. etc um so i kind of went into it expecting this sort of uh straightforward like hero's journey messiah type type story um Mm. yeah yeah i would always heard that like it was crazy so like oh strap in yeah, it's going to get weird. And then for it to not be, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I can see how I can see how that's a bit disappointing. Yeah. Um, um was there was I, there anything you you liked about it? Uh, uh Chalamet was good. Yeah, yeah, he's terrific. Um, and I thought the mom was good. Rebecca Ferguson? Yeah. It's just it it 
I guess this is just his style now. Villanueva. Like, where... Like, this is the color palette. And I... I, he sort of set the the tone for what sci-fi is like in the last 10 years mm -hmm. but I might be fatigued by it already really yeah where everything is now just gray um because like last year there was raised by wolves which kind of looked exactly like this Ooh, I um, hard hard disagree there. Really? Yeah, no. I thought this visually, this this film was doing a lot of really amazing things. I mean, um, that just had more spandex. But other than that, it was like <laughs> okay. same colors, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, and then it's like, all right, how many how many sci-fi movies does Oscar Isaac need to be in? Uh, you know, and. He could that that role could have been played by anybody. Like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it sounds like you're a bit you're a bit fatigued for sure. Um, yeah, which but like I kind of, but like, I kinda, like, but like I you don't get into, a lot of yeah. these movies. You know. Um. No, you know, I I was gonna, you know, speaking of that, I was gonna say like, for somebody who really really enjoyed this, um, I'm happy that it's performed as well as it has. Uh, it's done really well in the box office. Like I think the best of any pandemic film. Yeah. Um, which is especially impressive considering that it was a uh, day and date on HBO max. Mm -hmm. um, and for me looking at this movie, um, I kind of felt in a lot of ways, it's almost like the anti MCU blockbuster. Um, you know, if you're talking about like high budget blockbuster movies, you know, big louds, expensive this is like this is the ideal version of that for me um you know you don't get any of like the cheesy one-liners that you get in the mcu that like totally take you out of like the significance of like the moment or what's happening yeah um the focus in this movie is is world building so much of it is world building um just like because there's like a lot of spectacle Right. Mm -hmm. But it's all in service of like, yeah. So I was saying like, uh, there's a lot of spectacle in this movie, mm -hmm. but it's all so purposeful. Like for example, um, and we didn't really set it up, you know? Right. But, um, so like you have the shot where, uh, Timothy Chalamet's character, uh, Paul is like, um, standing on this hill near the water. And he's watching like the cameras behind him and you're watching this giant, this, this, this giant, um, ship rise from the water. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like later on, there's this, this, uh, really important, uh, sequence about halfway through the movie where there's like an invasion, um, in the nighttime and yeah. there are ships coming down from the sky, um, and, and explosions and all that but it's like i don't know there's there's a way something about how villeneuve um frames these scenes like his use of scale in this movie is just jaw-dropping like it's incredible um i honestly i don't know if i've ever seen scale like this in a movie like it's just it's incredible like the perspectives that you get um because for the most part you're following paul right like it's from his perspective mm -hmm. 
and he, a lot of the stuff he's he's seeing for the first time because it's just, you know he's he's going to this this planet for the first time um and you're kind of seeing it through his eyes and i don't know it's just like uh the visuals were were truly like incredible um some so, some things i've never seen in film before like it's it's villeneuve style for sure it's something he's been sort of building and working with like his entire career but this is like this is like a culmination of that um it, it's it's on a scale that he just has not been able to do before um and it was really uh, it blew me away yeah you know what the visual didn't blow me away what's that was the shaven jason momoa <laughs> okay <laughs> He looks so weird without a beard. Oh, because you've what? You've only seen him in Aquaman? No, I've only seen him with a beard and everything. Is that really? Is that? Yeah. Does he typically always have one? I thought that was yeah. me, just like an Aquaman thing. No, he always has one. Okay. He looked weird. He looked right. off. He was just some dude. Okay. What the fuck was his name? Uh, uh, Mason Dixon? Uh, <laughs> Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Duncan. Uh, uh, Kansas. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed uh, for you know for what that character was like. He's just having a good time in this world where everybody is not. <laughs> you know, he's just running around having a blast. Yeah, he's, he's infiltrating. He's infiltrating the Fremen. He's 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 going around the ship. He's trying to <laughs> take on like armies. Yeah, he pulls out these these gadgets and. He's like, everyone's like, what do these do? And he's like, ah, I'm not telling you. Yeah, it's like a thumper. It's a th I love this thumper. You yeah. guys see this thing? It's a thumper. It's so cool. What's it do? Ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, that actually kind of brings up a point, um, which was this movie, for it being like an epic, you know, sci-fi fantasy film, it did not get bogged down by any, like, bullshit that you usually see. Um, in science fiction, like stuff that you can kind of like, you know, like yada yada away, right? Like some sort of explanation about what a device does, for example, or like some sort of mythological thing that really nobody cares about. Um, like it's weird to say that the movie felt like grounded when you have like these giant like sandworms, <laughs> you know, and, and stuff like that. But it did kind of feel grounded in that way. Like there's so much... Um, there was so much attention to detail with like the worlds and the world building and like the costumes and you know, all of that, but there, it never felt like, Oh, I'm watching a science fiction movie, you know? And they're like hitting me with this science fiction stuff. If you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of confused about the, the voice shit. Mm-hmm. And because like all the all the, you know, like pre the the previews and like the the synopsis says like, oh, yeah, it's about a boy in this prophecy or whatever. Right. But they never like ac actually say what the prophecy is, which is fine, I think. But it it is like it's like assuming that you know what it is. Well, I mean, is it, though, because it, it feels like the characters themselves don't know, right? Because like at every turn, they're questioning whether uh, Paul is this thing. Yeah, um, no, but that's, and, that, and he's no, that's questioning, to be expected and, with any kind of chosen boy. Well, sure. But like at the same time, he's questioning 
within himself too. Like, if I am, what does this mean? You know, like, what do my visions mean? Well, yeah, but that's because um, they haven't explained shit to him either. Mm-hmm. So from that from that standpoint, it makes sense if you're the viewer and you don't know what the prophecy is. Mm-hmm. But but if you do, then like you do have a leg up, like right. Because they they go through they go through the minutia of like everything else. Like this is how this big old dump truck works to refine the sand. You know these. This is how the worms work. But then they don't just outright state what the prophecy is mm-hmm. at all. Well, I mean, I guess because the prophecy is only known by a select few number of characters too, right? I like guess. this other stuff that you're getting explanations for. That's part of this this new world that they're in, and it's kind of like everybody's learning about that at the same time but isn't he also like the chosen boy for the fremen or whatever potentially so they got they got they got a prophecy or whatever mm-hmm. was the impression i was getting yeah i mean i would imagine Mighty, Mighty that Tones. i would imagine that part two would probably delve more into that because we had we didn't get much fremen in this movie yeah until, until the very end right it so. was it was losing me at the end Really? I have, to, I have to say, yeah. Okay. Because I was like, we're about to wrap this up, and now we're doing a trial by combat. Yeah. It's like, this is not a climax, really. Well, yeah, so that that's that's interesting, because um, a lot of the talk I've seen around this movie, uh, like people that were disappointed, um, I think part of the issue is the marketing. Uh, nowhere during the promotion of this movie did it say this is part one of like right. a multi-part film, right? Um, well, because and that's because people yeah. in the know they've been like sort of dangling that as like a hostage situation. Like, hey, you better give us money or you don't get part two. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that Villeneuve made this and ended it where he did without any guarantee that there would be a sequel i mean but if you look at the history of dune it's like (laughs) is it really that surprising no it's not surprising um i just it's kind of a bold it's a bold choice and it paid off because it's you know obviously it's a sequel has been announced and it's doing really well but but yeah like as far as the as far as the lack of climax um yeah i think if you went into this movie expecting it to be like a full story um, which was very reasonable because they, again, they didn't, they didn't really stress the whole part one aspect of it. Um, then you might be disappointed. Um, but like I for me, the, yeah. I wasn't necessarily expecting a complete story or story arc. Cause I also knew that this was supposed to be like, a, it, it wasn't going to be a completed thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, know how the, um, novel works. Like, I don't even know how much of the novel they got through. Apparently I, half. Yeah, I've heard half or a third or, yeah, I've heard varying after the fact. Um, but uh, it just sort of like just like petered out at the end. I like mean, it, I disagree. It, 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 wasn't even, it wasn't even the fact that there wasn't like a climax or anything. It just sort of like kind of kept like meandering at the end. Like instead of it, did, it, like it didn't feel like it was going anywhere and I was losing interest really quickly. Um, hmm. like, yeah, I mean, like for, for, yeah, where they're going through the, um, the dust storm, it's like, okay. Oh, the dust storm went on for too long. Absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> the dust storm went on for too long. That whole ship sequence where they're trying to like fly above it and through it. And 
Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was nothing. Like I don't know if that's supposed to be some kind of important, whatever the hell, um, character. I don't know. Um, but then they meet the Fremen, and they're just kind of hanging out, and then they got to do a trial by combat. And I didn't even understand the reasoning, really. Um. Yeah. Well, I guess you know, for to to, to be included within the Fremen, you have to prove yourself. Right. Um, I, I like the ending of this this movie because it wasn't like the end of a story arc, but it felt like the end of a character arc or like the beginning of a new one, like for Paul, because this was like the common. This is like what his visions were leading to right throughout the film. And this is like a moment where he's sort of taking on the role that he believes he should be in. He's just trying to get his dick wet. No, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to take this conversation seriously. Sorry, sorry. Um, but just like his face at the end. <laughs> oh my god. No, but seriously though, because I, I thought it was interesting. Because like this this story um, can get a little complicated uh, regarding like the whole idea of the white savior, right? Sure. Um, and I I thought this was a smart choice by the film and I don't know if it differs at all from from what happens in, in the novel but it's like um you know the idea that he can walk up to the fremen and be rejected and then have to immediately like prove himself and then be hesitant and then like end up having to kill a guy just to be like accepted in their community like this it, it's almost like trying to resist at every turn against this the, the idea of a white savior right which I thought yeah. was was smart and, and was really cool and kind of subversive. Um, and I, I honestly don't know where that's going to lead, like into the next movie. Um, but it seems like they've set that up really well. But at the same time, there was the thing where the the lady that was like their guide, who was supposed to be like that imp- impartial third party or whatever. Right. Um, she says like at the beginning when she meets them, and she's like, she quotes. It sounded like straight from the Bible, but I don't know what it was from, if it was supposed to be some um, fictionalized text. She's like, one who is not of them will lead them. So it's like, I guess that's their prophecy thingy. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, like, I know the novel was influenced by, like, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. So there is, like, that whole outsider white dude thing coming in being like hey i'm i'm the dude yes like it it just it seems so central to this story and it could be very easily be problematic and so like feeling the narrative kind of like of the movie kind of like fight against it is is a promising thing i think yeah but um yeah the other, th- so Zendaya's whole thing was weird to me. Mm-hmm. Another marketing issue, I think, because if you were watching like the ads or, you know, the lead up to this movie, you would think she was the co-star right yeah. alongside Chalamet. You would think she was front and center. They they um, pulled a Brian Cranston Godzilla. Okay. <laughs> Well, like he was, he was all over the marketing, and then he like died within the first five minutes. Oh, that's terrible! 
Um, so he was like not in that movie at all. Yeah, they definitely. Uh, I mean, at least her character has significance and you know that she's going to be important in the next film. But yeah, they definitely pulled that type of thing here. Yeah, it was just weird because she does the uh, narration at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then you don't see her except in Paul's visions until the very end. Um, but my issue with her inclusion is that she's with the Fremen who all seem to have like they're they are the the um indigenous population of uh what the hell's the dune planet called whatever whatever the dune planet oh called. um arrakis right arrakis dune yeah I, I i did the i did the uh dicaprio leo pointing thing whenever that the the bad guy calls it my dune of course. I was, I was like, oh, that's it. They said it. They said it, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so she's with this indigenous people. Like, this, this is that's her people or whatever. And they're all speaking, like, with an accent. But then she's there, and she's just all like, hey, what up? <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. And it's, I guess, it's like, I guess really we don't know if there's. I guess we don't know if there's, like, a narrative reason for that, right? Yeah, but without that, it's like, it's really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, because all these all these other dudes are like speaking in riddles and shit, you know. Yeah, and they're like they're like spitting on tables and you know and like doing like their customs and things, and she's just like, hey. Well, the the mediator, um, I don't know what her her title was, but the one that was the person that was um there, like the neutral. Yeah, yeah, person. yeah. She was Fremen, right? And so she didn't have um, right, but she either. was like she was like hiding it, even though it was like the worst secret ever. Well, yeah, because your eyes are blue, <laughs> right? But yeah, but also she like knew everything, and you know was like doing all this shit, and then it was like supposed to be a reveal whenever she says that she's Fremen, and I was like, dude, everybody knew that. Like, was it supposed who, who, to be a secret though? Because I, one of the first lines she has, where somebody asks her if she's from it, and she's like, "I'm accepted in both in, in in both communities." Right, but then it was like this: the big music swelled whenever she said, "I'm Fremen," and it was like, doo, 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 doo. Mm, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "We knew that." Yeah, we did. But uh, but it was like for her, it was more like she was trying to like suppress that side and like keep the imperial aloofness, you know. Yeah. So for her, it made sense for like when Zendaya, like, I guess we don't know what's going on, but yeah. it's just, it's just very jarring where I mean, all these other it, dudes are like speaking in riddles with I, accents. I think it's, I, I think it's safe to assume that Zendaya's character has some significance because she's tied to Paul's visions, right? So there's something yeah. there where it's like her origin is, is meaningful. And I'm, I'm assuming that maybe the accent has to do with that. Maybe. But yeah. Um yeah, I'm just I continue to be uh so impressed with, with Danny Villeneuve's uh films. This was this was a, a story that, that he's he's been trying to, to make this for, for a long time. And and you could tell, like just like like I was saying before, like the, the amount of detail, uh the attention given to the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's such a a a, a passion project from the filmmaker and it's really cool that he gets to make a sequel at least i think so yeah potentially three because he, he said he wants he ideally he wants uh to be uh three a three film as a trilogy yeah 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 he wants three of them 
Um, I'm curious if that's going like if that's going to cover the first book or if that's going to cover the sequel. Did Frank Herbert? How many books did Frank Herbert write? Do you know? He wrote six. He wrote six, but there's like a bunch and his, more, right? His son and another author wrote uh, eight to finish the series, the original series, and then wrote like a fuck ton more after that to like fill in the gaps and the world and all kinds of shit. Okay. Um, people uh, seem to like the original six um, with some varying quality in between like some people really like um book three like a whole lot and then mm -hmm. i think it kind of dips from there um and then a lot is, of people is, aren't really into the um the ones the sun writes but is the first uh, one considered the best generally? yes yeah okay yeah yeah that's my understanding um yeah because wasn't there I, I heard last year there were plans for like a tv series too like a spinoff of some sort oh yeah i don't know if that's still happening i think it is i think it got a new showrunner it's called like women of dune or sisters of dune or something like that okay because i think it's it's with the um for like the nun the nunnery whatever the hell whatever the mom is involved with mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that order um i think it's based on that and I, I think it's an hbo max project so that would make, make yeah sense. that would make make sense um yeah because i think i think villeneuve was involved in some capacity like maybe just as an ep or something mm -hmm. um but it changed showrunner like maybe a year ago or something like that so i don't know what its status is currently interesting as long as you don't like star wars it right yeah but yeah like if you want to make big blockbusters that you know are like this <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm 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 down i'm i'm so happy that this is like succeeding no yeah because I am Bla too. blade runner Even 2049 did not right which and, is you know fucking travesty because that was it's excellent yeah. mm -hmm. that kills me because it was all down to people hearing about the runtime of that movie and being like oh that sounds long no thank you Meanwhile, they'll sit through fucking Endgame. I know. Three and a half hours. Like, yeah. what the fuck? You couldn't make me sit through that at gunpoint. And th and this was like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I should mention, <laughs> I, I watched this the way that, that Villeneuve intended, which was uh, on my television. Um, yeah. And with a number of pauses to go check hockey scores. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, I, I watched to the it great the, Denny. I somehow did not need to pause it. I watched it all oh, the way I, through. I pause every single movie I watch at home. I mean, I just I I if it's two hours long, it takes me three. That's just sure. just how it goes for me. But that's not like when it's on. I'm. It's not like I'm one of those people that uh, and no judgment or anything that will just like sit on their phone while the movie's playing. Like nothing like that. I'm if when it's on, it's full attention. But I do yeah. pause to like get up and do something or, or whatever. For me, it's just a sign of like something going on with the movie where if I if I reach for my phone and the movie's on, something is going on. Like mm -hmm. something something is up with the movie if I feel the urge to grab my phone. Um, yeah, it has to earn your attention. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I usually make a mental note if it's like, oh, I just re reached for my phone during this. Um, 
and I try to like analyze why I did that <laughs> during during a movie. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this has made me like, even though I wasn't super hot on it, it has made me both want to read the book again and also want to watch the Lynch version again. Yeah, I I've um, felt the same way. I've been really like I've, I've needed more Dune after I watched this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was I actually watched the documentary uh, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, are you familiar at all? I, I know of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's this documentary. I wanted to talk about it a little bit and, and share mm-hmm. some of the highlights from that, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. It's, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so um, Alejandro Jodorowsky is a Chilean-French filmmaker, um, very avant-garde, very experimental. Uh, he was he was working in the 1970s. His, his two most famous movies are El Topo and The Holy Mountain. Um, both very weird, very avant-garde. Um, he's, he's, he's gotten like a cult following from those, from those movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in a position around like 1975 to make a new movie. And he was kind of like trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And he decided he wanted to make Doom. Um, and uh, th- this movie never was made. Right. But a lot of effort went into it up until the point where they realized they couldn't make it. Um, so th- the result of that was in 2013, there's a documentary called uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, which which goes into, you know, everything that went into this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I should say Jodorowsky is is still alive today. I had to check. Uh, he's ninety two. Still, I was say, still, he has to be quite up there. Yeah, yeah, he's still kicking. He's still he's still rolling. Um, but yeah, he's he's the main uh, the main character in this documentary, and he sure. is he is quite a character. Um, mm-hmm. Very fascinating individual. Um, because like much of this movie is 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 him in a room being interviewed and going through like everything of those, those few years of trying to make Dune. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So he decides he wants to make it right. He's never read the book. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but he decides he wants to make it. And of course he does read the book after he's like, I'm going to make this movie. Um, and he's somebody who really, it's like, he's no compromise with his, with his arts. Um, like when he wants somebody to be in his movie, like he needs to have that person, you know, Mm-hmm. So like he goes through like the various people that he was recruiting for this movie. And it's so interesting because like in the beginning, you're listening to this guy talk and he kind of resembles a cult leader in some ways. Hmm. Like he he refers to himself as a prophet. Okay. Um he he thinks that he's not just making movies, he's making like he's making like transcendent, like transcendent experiences that are like going to like like elevate the consciousness of those who experience like it's just like oh. all this yeah like all this stuff like he's very high on what he's doing um and i'll say like there's there's an arc to to this documentary like in the beginning you're kind of, i was kind of put off by his his approach mm-hmm. um but by the end of it like he's painting a portrait of of hollywood because eventually what happens with with his version of dune is that he prepares everything he's got a, a full script a full cast uh, art everything storyboard 
ready to go. He's pitching it to all like the Hollywood execs and he gets turned down from all of them because of his past work being so avant-garde and out there and they don't want to take a chance on him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they're like, oh, this movie is, is this is all like really interesting and really cool. And, and the, like the, it would only cost 15 million and we could do it. And it, you know, it makes sense, but we don't trust the director. Oh. And, and so he's become like, you know, the antithesis to, to what Hollywood is. And it's like, it's, it's, it resonates very much like this, you know, his story resonates even to like this day where it's like Hollywood lacks, you know, the ambition and the creativity and the, the willingness to give, uh, like creators a chance to like think outside the box. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that, that, I found that was really interesting. And like, I was initially put off by, um, Jodorowsky, but by the end of the movie, I was like won over by him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to the point where I'm, I'm going to go in and watch some of his films. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so there were some details that I wanted to get into and I won't, I won't go on forever here, but like some really fascinating like tidbits about him making Dune. So mm-hmm. like he wanted his son to play Paul. Okay. Um, his son, his, his son had acted in some of his prior movies at like, he was very young at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when he was casting him as, as Paul, I think his son was like a young teenager. And um, apparently his son trained for this role over the course of two years. He trained six hours per day, seven days a week, doing like martial arts and like physical training and like some vague stuff to like expand his creativity and his mind um according to <laughs> according to Jodorowsky well it's for the voice but, i mean he had to be able to use it he had to be able to use the voice yeah he wanted to he wanted his son to really become paul in every sense of in every sense of the word um and he made him do this for 2 years before he even knew he was going to make the fucking movie yes yes 2 years of intense training um which was very interesting uh and he even says like i i realize now um what i what i've done to my son <laughs> like I've made, how I've his, made him a how killing it, machine yeah like how his life might have been different had i not done this to him and i don't know the, the effects the effects of 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 this of of what i got him involved with um it was very interesting to see him reflect on that but uh but yeah, so his son's doing that. Um, he's looking for like artists and um, effects guys to work with. Um, he's writing the script. Uh, one interesting detail of the script uh, that he changed from the book was uh, how Paul came to be. Um, so the Duke, uh, which is who's Paul's father, he was castrated in in uh, in Jodorowsky's version of this of this story. Castrated, okay. I should say, before he, before Paul is born. Um, okay, and so then what? There's immaculate conception. Sort of. Uh, what happens is the uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Lady Jessica, Lady Jessica, Paul's mother. She takes a drop of the Duke's blood and consumes it. And there's supposed to be like on the storyboards, there's this 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 panning shot of the drop of blood like going down her body and into like her reproductive organs. <laughs> and it okay. explodes there. Okay. It explodes there and it impregnates her. Um 
And so the idea here is that Paul was not born by sexual pleasure, but rather spiritual pleasure. Um, and so it's supposed to really play into the spirituality of Paul and his whole, um, his whole plight. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, so going into some of the casting, he wanted, um, he wanted Salvador Dali to play the, uh, to play the emperor. Okay. Uh, the problematic Salvador Dali, he was, he was like fascinated with him, um, I guess as like another avant-garde artist. Sure. Uh, he didn't really know how to get in touch with Dali, kind of hard, hard guy to reach in the, yeah. in the seventies, uh. But it turns out they happened to be like staying at the same hotel one time. <laughs> and uh, so what Jodorowsky did to get his attention was he got a tarot card, okay. the, the Hanged Man Tarot, which I don't really know the significance of that. Uh, I don't know if you could speak of, at all. It's kind of what you'd expect. Okay. Yeah. So he, <laughs> he got the Hanged Man Tarot card. He wrote like a message on it to Dali and sent it to him wanting to talk. And that caught Dolly's attention and, and they had a sit down conversation. Um, but it, he still couldn't convince him to like be in his movie. Right. Mm -hmm. So Dolly decided that if he was going to be in this movie, he wanted to be the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> um, so he's like, yeah, I want at least a hundred thousand dollars per hour, per hour uh, during filming. Um, which that, you know, not going to really be feasible given the, the budget. Yeah. so one of his producers had the idea of like what if we so so how long do you think the emperor will be on screen he asked that to jodorowsky and jodorowsky's mm -hmm. like um maybe three to five minutes and he's <laughs> like okay so so if he's going to be on screen for three to five minutes why don't we go to dali and tell him that we'll pay him not a hundred thousand dollars per hour but a hundred thousand dollars per minute <laughs> But it's per minute of screen time. <laughs> right. And so he, he he agreed to that. <laughs> Jesus. So he's got Dali. Um, but then he he wants Orson Welles to play the Baron. Okay. Another problematic figure. Okay. Um, but yeah, but hey, so I he, can he, see that. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Because he likes to eat. And that that was uh that was pretty much the extent of Jodorowsky's reasoning was that the Baron was was Orson Welles likes to eat. Um, so the way they tracked him down, because he's a hard guy to get in touch with. Sure. Um, they they learned that he likes gastronomic restaurants. Okay. And so they learned his favorite gastronomic restaurant and they were able to catch him while he was eating there. And uh, <laughs> so he agreed to talk with Jodorowsky at this restaurant. And he's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that i don't really want to act anymore i'm not really looking to be part of anything um like it doesn't really matter like you know how much you're gonna even negotiating like a, a payment or anything and so joe roxy's like okay well what if in addition to your salary i also hire the chef of this restaurant to be on set and he will give you <laughs> he will cook <laughs> every Jesus day while you're on Christ. set um, and so that got Orson Welles on board. <laughs> oh my God. That got Orson Welles on board to play the Baron. Um, and then he wanted Mick Jagger for, uh, for some role. I forget the, I forget the role. 
Um, and then Leo Trades. Well, no, the, the was it the Duke? <laughs> it might. I don't know. It might have been. It might have been. Now this one, this one's a little far fetched. I don't know if I believe him here, but he's like didn't know how to get, get in touch with Mick Jagger either. But like he just happens to run into him at like a club one day, I and he's like, like, I guess so. But he's like he had this moment where he's looking across the room and he makes eye contact with Mick Jagger. And like there's like this connection and and Mick Jagger slowly makes his way across the room to Jodorowsky. And Jodorowsky says to him, I want you for my film. And Mick Jagger's like, okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> he agrees. Um and like somehow they managed to get Pink Floyd to do part of the soundtrack. Sure. Um, because yeah, of course. Why not? Um, let's see what else here. Uh yeah. So all this stuff is in motion. He's got artists working around the lot. Oh, that's right. There was this uh, artist, Dan O'Bannon. He went on he went on to work uh on like Alien and stuff. Mm. Um, but this is before he had done any of that. And um Jodorowsky saw some of O'Bannon's work and he wanted him to, to be part of the uh, the crew. And so he contacts him and he's like, yeah, I want you to be part of this movie. Um, sell everything you own and move to Paris and come work work with me on this. My God. Um, so O'Bannon does that. And this is like where part of the cult leader thing kind of comes into play where it's like these people are dropping everything and signing up for this project. And yeah. it's never going to get off the ground. Right. So, like, O'Bannon, for example, like, gives up everything in his life and goes to Paris and works for a number of years uh, making all this art. Um, and then the movie doesn't get funded and doesn't yeah. get made. And so now he's left with, like, nowhere to go. And, and it does work out for him in the long run because he works on some some pretty, some pretty big uh, pictures. But it was, like, at the time, just like, man, where do you go from there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway, fast forward, the movie doesn't get made. Um, it's a huge bummer. Jodorowsky doesn't make another movie for over 30 years. Um, he does like make comics and stuff because he's got all this art, you know, he's got all this, this drawn art for, for this, for this, uh, for this Dune adaptation. Mm -hmm. And he does use it in like other creative projects, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a really cool, uh, moment where it's like, it was a really funny moment in the, in the documentary where, uh, they go into a little bit into David Lynch's Dune. Mm -hmm. And this is like almost 10 years after, uh, after Jodorowsky failed to get his funded. Yeah. And they announced, they announced Lynch's version and, and Jodorowsky's like, yeah, at the time I'm, I'm a big fan of David Lynch. I love his work, but there was no way I was going to watch that movie. Mm-hmm. It would just be too painful, right? Yeah. Um, but his sons drag him to the theater anyway, <laughs> and they force him to sit sit there and watch it. And Jodorowsky's like, I was in the theater watching this, and while the movie was going on, I started crying because I was so happy this movie was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy because this failed so dramatically, and it was such a big failure. Um, and he does say like it must have been the producers or something there because he knows that David Lynch is like such a extreme talent and it wasn't it wasn't just him. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I love that moment where he's like, just like so relieved that this <laughs> this Dune adaptation that got greenlit was a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be really curious if he if he if he's watched the uh, the Villeneuve version. Yeah, like I don't know if anybody's like reached out to him or not. I mean, he is ninety two, so I don't know like what he's up to nowadays. But the thing with the the David Lynch version is that he didn't get final cut on the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's I why th- he like took his name off of it at a certain point. Yeah, see, I don't think I'll ever watch it because it would be one thing if like the public reacted poorly to it, but Lynch stood behind it. Right. But the fact that he's like disowned it makes me not even want to see it. No, that's that's why I'm the same way. Yeah, mm-hmm. because because whenever I first said like or heard that you know the, it was received so poorly, it's like. Oh, a David Lynch movie that was received poorly? It's like, well, I fucking love Fire Walk With Me, you know? Yes, what so, else is new? Yeah, so, but then it's like, oh, well, if he doesn't like it and he didn't get final cut on the movie and it's not even, like, his version of the film, it's like, hmm, I don't, I don't know about that. I know, so, yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing that's holding me back on that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still very curious. I kind of am, too. I kind of am, too. Um but yeah, that was that was that was some of the interesting stuff from this documentary. Um, I know I went on for kind of a while there, but I was just I was fascinated by it. No, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well worth a watch. There's there's plenty of other stuff, and and just Jodorowsky as a character is is so interesting to watch. Uh, there's some quotes that he says that I can't even repeat on here. Jesus, <laughs> like I simply can't. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty wild stuff. Um, and a lot of really interesting, like, um, like conceptual art too, that was shown mm. off here from, from what this, this movie could have been. It, it was pretty interesting. Cause like Nicholas, uh, winning Refn was interviewed for this, this documentary. And oh, okay. he, uh, he was at Jodorowsky's home at one point and like Jodorowsky pulled out the big book, the, <laughs> the big, you know, book where you pitch the movie to like the execs. So it's got everything in it. Yeah. And he just like let Refn just like read it. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, which is really cool, but, uh, but yeah, like the movie like goes into like some of the artwork from this and the idea that this book was sort of like passed around Hollywood a little bit because there's a lot of visuals that are very, very similar to like stuff in mainstream, like science fiction from like the eighties and in the nineties. Um, interesting. They, they pitched the idea that this movie that was never made was actually quite influential um, despite that, hmm. uh, which is which is a pretty cool idea. Because um, like Dune itself, obviously very influential. Yeah. But then the idea that this movie that wasn't made, just the the concept of it and the ideas behind it, that those kind of got out there and, and inspired some like like Spielberg or Ridley Scott, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, this, this documentary, like it, you know, it may, it speculates, right? Like there's speculation. Sure. It's sort of it's on the side of of Jodorowsky as as it you would expect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so there's that. Like you can kind of take some things with a grain of salt, but it's you know, some of the side by side comparisons are are pretty irrefutable. So, hmm. yeah, interesting. And so that was my that was my Dune filled week. Yeah. Yeah, it was Dune Week. I mean, yeah. You know. 
because yeah, if if I get into the Blackhawks shit, I'm gonna be like screaming for an hour. So yeah, do you want to do that next week? Yeah, because it's worth. I think it's it's definitely worth uh, worth talking about. Yeah, because if we can talk, if we could bullshit hockey, we can talk about uh, an important story. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll cover that next week. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate it. As always, you can follow me everywhere at Den and Road. Uh, check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Den Road TV. Follow the Twitch, twitch.tv slash Den Road TV. Do a YouTube search for Den and Road TV. And if you'd like to email anything at all, uh, maybe some conspiracy theories that you find around the web or celebrities delving into QAnon, um, you can send that in to video at denandro.co. Or if you uh, if you if you watch Dune, if you watch Dune and you want to let us know what you thought of it, that too, yeah. I'm, if I, you want to tell, curious. if you want to tell Bill why he's wrong about not liking it as much as he should have, I'm open to you know, you know, I'm I'm probably <laughs> in the minority. I know it's gotten slightly mixed, but you know, um, yeah. And I'm going to keep on plugging it, even though it doesn't fit the content of this show. Check out the Fred's First Adventure book and plush bundles over at publishing at, uh, uh, that's the email, publishing.denandro.co. It's very hot in my room. I need to get out of here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. (laughs)